Well, good morning. Before we get started, uh, I got all this junk up here. Man, what? Uh, we got a little video, and uh, it's kind of a. <clears throat> I knew this was happening, and I kind of forgot about the date, and so we didn't squeeze it into our regular announcement time. But there's another worship event happening, and and if you've kind of been tracking through the course of the summer, we've had uh, three worship events down here in the Chuila Park. Uh, there's been one at the in Colville at the uh, fairgrounds uh, that we took in, uh, but there's another one tonight at six down at River Park, uh, River Park Square. Where's it? what's it called? River Park Square at the park in the middle of Spokane. That's where it's at, and it's in the pavilion. But Jenny has this video, and we just uh, gonna call an audible and watch this quick video. So just uh, bear with me. I'll be right back. Go ahead, Jenny. Sounds great, right? I had to sneak out the side door so I could see it. Tonight, 6 o'clock at uh, Riverfront Park. I really don't want my phone up here. Well, welcome and greetings. Woo. Toasty. There we go. How's everybody doing? Oh, come on. Great! Everybody have a good week? I see a lot of smiles like people are like, I, I don't really want to say, Jim. I just don't really want to say. Nice and toasty this week. We had a, uh, we, we, we've had a crazy, it's just been super busy, I'll just put it that way, I won't go too much into it, but uh, crazy week, really busy, uh, but a good week, and some great opportunities uh, Last week, uh, we started into the book of 2 Timothy, and we were talking about boldness and how we need to be bold in our faith, 
right? How we need to, uh, how, how, how the Apostle Paul encourages his young protege, Timothy, whose, whose personality is really reserved. He's really kicked back. Uh, he's timid. We've talked about that last week. But how he needs to be bold in the faith. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, you guys think these sermons are for you. Uh, I'm going to say these sermons are for all of us. Because by Tuesday evening, I had the opportunity, just fell into my lap in a conversation uh, with a couple of dudes to be really bold, to be really bold about issues of pr- being pro-life. And, 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 and I'm not going to give you all the details, I'm going to say this, it was some real honest questions. There were some real honest questions put out there. And man, I just, I just jumped off the cliff in conversation with this fellow. And I just said, you know, here it is. You want a plan? Like he's like, what's, what's the conservative's plan? This guy's not conservative in his thinking. What's the conservative's plan? And because he says, I, I, I hear a lot on the news. I hear a lot of just chatter. But I don't hear anybody saying this is a viable plan for like fatherlessness in America. You know, and so it just gave, I just took full advantage and jumped in. And a buddy of mine who's, uh, was in the conversation as well, who's a believer, and uh, it was just a great opportunity. Like, those are the things. When I talk about boldness, and when I'm encouraging us to be bold, those are, the, those are your opportunities, right? Those are the open doors in front of us to just jump in and say, you know, here it is. Here's what God's Word says. Uh, and uh, if you want solutions to America's and really the world's issues, um, you're not going to find those solutions by committing a second crime you're going to find them by following the word of God. Amen? All right. So Paul was encouraging Timothy to be bold. Why? Uh, Much like today, and this is where it kind of all flows together, much like today, the city of Ephesus in the first century was just off the rails. Right? They were just off the rails. It was a difficult place to be a Christ follower. It wasn't easy. And... uh, 2 Timothy, we're just going to dive right into it, because uh, that's about all the intro you get from me today. <laughs> but 2 Timothy starts right out, 2 Timothy 2 starts right out, where Paul says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, if you just stop and every time the Bible, if you're reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, don't go to the right, go to the left in your Bible, right? Go to the left. Find out why, why, does, why does the author use the word therefore? What, to, what ideas are he, is he connecting together from what he just said to where he's going to go, right? So the therefore really is a tie back to last week. It's a tie back to all those main points. Therefore, Timothy, you know, if you want to just, I'll give you a list of four anyway. Uh, you could write it out there. You, therefore, Timothy, resist the spirit of fear, verse 7 in chapter 1. Resist the spirit of fear. And fear is a spirit. We talked about that last week. It's a demonic spirit that is out there to, to kind of uh, uh, de- depress and compress and oppress you know, God's people. It's a spirit. Fear is a spirit. It's not just an emotion, right? It's a spirit. So he says in verse 7 of chapter 1, resist that spirit of fear. 
along with that, so you're resisting the spirit of fear, therefore receive a spirit of power, of love, and of sound mind. We talked about that last week. Uh, same verse, chapter 1, verse 7. It says, Timothy received the spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. He could say this, uh, the, fourth, the third point. Therefore, uh, be unashamed of the gospel and unashamed of God's people. That's what Paul was writing about in that first chapter. Be unashamed of who God is. Be unashamed of the gospel. See, because in that first century, it was a shameful thing for your leader to die the way Jesus died. Right? That wasn't popular. Let's be honest. That was like you were following a criminal. Socially, anyway. The social mindset was Jesus was a, you know, uh, no good person dies that way. You know, nobody with any social standing dies hanging on a cross in that kind of format. Right? But Paul's saying, don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of who Christ is. Don't be ashamed of the gospel, he says. And with that, don't be ashamed of God's people. Don't be ashamed of God's people and what the Lord's doing. The fourth one is, you could insert, you therefore, Timothy. And he says this in chapter 1. He says, hold fast to sound teaching. You need to hold fast. You need to hold on. And I'm saying today, and in our culture, like these, these words in chapter 1 should jump off the page at us. Like we should just be like, absolutely, I'm just holding on. Right? I'm just holding on. I'm not going to let go of what God said. I don't care where the culture goes. I'm not going to let go of what the Word of God says. It would have been easy in that conversation Tuesday night to make excuses. It would have been easy to play it soft. It would have been easy to sidestep the real heart issues. But if I did all of that, I wouldn't be holding fast. Right? I, w- I, w- I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have just been holding fast to what God's word says. I'd be making excuses. That's not holding fast. And then he says, you therefore my son, speaks of the depth of the relationship between Paul and, and Timothy, of course. And he says, be strong. Be strong, Timothy. There's 25 times that Paul encourages Timothy in the Bible to toughen up. We need that type of message today. Like, I need that type of message. You need that type of message. We, we, we've got to grow some thicker skin, folks, in this culture that we live in. It's atrocious. If we don't toughen up in the faith, and, and the way you toughen up in the faith, and we'll get to this, is it's all through today, uh, it, it, you have to hold on to what God's Word says. And you're going to be tested in that. And every time you're tested, uh, it's, not so, it's not because God doesn't know where you're going to go. It's a revelation for you to know where you are. So we've got to toughen up. We've got to be strong. Here's a couple of things about being strong, a little side note. is uh, The great promises here is God doesn't just say be strong and then you go figure it out. Right? You're on your own. You, however it works for you, you go do you and, and, and I'll do me. That's not the way it works. Isaiah chapter 40 says this, Isaiah 40 verses 29 through 31. Speaking of the Lord, and speaking of the fact that here's the point, God wants to give us strength. You ever thought about that? Like God wants to infuse you with strength, His strength. Not your own. He's not trying to make a better version of you. You know, He's not, he's not wanting, you know, you 2.0. He's wanting to recreate you in His image. 
And here's how it works, Isaiah 40, 29 through 31. It says, he gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. I've seen a fair amount of that this week. We started football on Wednesday. So you get a bunch of... <laughs> You get a bunch of young bucks out on the turf in the morning. It's not too bad at 8 o'clock when the gr- little dew on the grass and it's kind of cool outside. But come 10.30 in this heat, you know, they're starting to faint and get a little weary. Isaiah says, even the youth shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. He brings it back to a spiritual principle. It's not about football. They didn't even have that in the Old Testament. Verse 31 says, but those who wait on the Lord, here's the little secret in the strength department. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings, with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. God wants you to to give us strength. And part of us learning to be strong believers is to not get ahead of what God's doing. So we have to wait on the Lord. We have to wait on the Lord. Right? Abraham didn't wait on the Lord. We ended up with Ishmael. The whole world's been affected because of Ishmael. Right? That was a don't wait moment. There's consequences to not waiting on the Lord. Not only does God want to give us strength, but God makes his strength available. And he makes his strength available through his battle armor. I love that phrase. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17 talk about God's battle armor. And uh, Paul, writing to the Ephesians, says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Another admonition for the church in Ephesus to be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the (coughs) darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Do we all get it like standing is what Paul's talking about? Like we want to stay upright in this thing? We have to stay upright in this thing. God wants us to stay upright in this thing. He infuses us with that strength. Verse 14, stand therefore, having girded your waist with the truth, having put on the (coughs) breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is in the word of God. Now, I could preach forever on these, like, six, seven verses, right? But here's the key. God's battle armor... You know, how he's going to strengthen you in your walk, how he's going to prepare you. It, it's not going to fall from the sky. Let's just put it that way. This stuff is, this is not, you know, uh, uh, oh, what's the movie where the cars all change into? Tran- you're, hey, you're not going to be a transformer. Let's just get ready for that one, right? This stuff, it, it's not a push a button and, you know, and you end up with all of this battle armor. It doesn't work that way. God's word says it doesn't work that way. No. Here's what two things you have to do. You have to put it on and you have to take it up. 
You have to put it on and you have to take it up. So there's an active role on our part to do these things. And God wants to and He will strengthen us. But our response to what God is doing in our lives is to desire and to actively put on and take up His battle armor. Now back to 2 Timothy 2. There's a particular strength that Paul is pointing at right there in verse (coughs) verse 1. He says, to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Right? Paul's speaking from personal experience here. He knew what it was like to walk in the unmerited gift from the Lord. He knew what it was like to walk with only the assistance that only God could give him. Unmerited grace. Right? Unmerited favor is grace. He knew what that was like. In fact, he wrote about it in regard to this issue that he had personally. He wrote about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9, where he talks about having this thorn in the flesh and how he had asked God to remove whatever this ailment was. There's lots of speculation. You know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the thorn in the flesh, it doesn't matter if it was his eyesight or some other thing or somebody, whatever it was, he had something that was a hindrance to him personally. Uh, I'll share a little story because I have this little sore in the middle of my hand here. So uh, about a month ago, maybe more than a month ago, I was working on Tammy's lawnmower. Uh, Fellas, that's high priority mechanicing skills in action. Like when I call my parts guy down in Tico, I say, hey, Rob, I said, I, I need a part for, he goes, let me guess, Tammy's lawnmower. Like we're on a first name, personal basis. He says, if mama's lawnmower's not running, nothing else matters. That was his response. Anyway, uh, and so <clears throat> I was changing out some parts. I had to, I thought I had to center punch a shaft and so I could put a puller on it and pull a pulley off of this, sh- this bearing. The problem was is that shaft was made out of hardened metal. So I'm holding a center punch with my right hand because I'm a southpaw, and I whack that thing pretty hard, and I feel this sting in my hand. And I look down, and I was bleeding right here. And I thought, oh, I looked down, and I rubbed the blood away. Huh, I must have just got nicked by something. But over in the last month, month and a half, this thing has gotten worse and worse and worse. And so the other night I told Tammy, I said, we got to get this thing. Well, I don't know what's in there, but whatever's in there, we got to get out of there. And uh, we took a scalpel, did a little uh, Marble Valley surgery. And uh, I dug out a chunk of metal the size of a pencil lead that was stuck pretty deep in my hand. Yeah, a thorn in the flesh, Paul's talking about. This is like some little thing, you know. That this is a nothing compared to whatever he was dealing with. And it still hurt. And he's begging God. He's pleading with God. Hey, take this thing away. This is his experience. I mean, I feel like kind of a wuss up here talking about a little tiny chunk of metal in my hand. He says this. Here's God's reply to his thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12, 19. The Lord returns this word to Paul. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Notice that. God's unmerited favor is sufficient for you, Paul. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Don't mix that up. Don't get that wrong. 
God was saying his strength is made perfect in Paul's weakness. That's where God works. Not through your best efforts, not through your best try, not through your best ability because you're good at something. And I'm not saying that God doesn't work through your gifts and talents, absolutely. But God's grace is stirred up in the areas that you can't get it done. God's grace is stirred up. His strength is then infused when we're 100% dependent on Him and, and nobody else. Right? And His grace then is, becomes enough. He says, therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities. And here's the reason why, that the power of Christ may rest on Him. In other words, His weaknesses were worthy to talk about because those are the areas where God came in powerful. Those were the areas that God showed up the greatest. Those were the areas that, that and, and we like to say this, where only, only God can have a solution. Right? Paul was saying this, I know what it's like to be weak. I know what it's like to be weak, but I also know that God's grace and His power is working through that weakness. And so Paul wanted Timothy to be bold and courageous and strong in that same kind of a grace. Why? Why did he, why, why did he keep propping up Timothy other than the obvious of Timothy's, you know, uh, personality type? Here's the reason why Timothy had a big job in front of him. I don't know what your big job is that's in front of you. There's something out there in front of all of us that seems greater than we can handle. It seems to be, uh, uh, you know, just out of reach for a solution. Whatever that thing is, whatever that thing is, God wants to build up courage and boldness and grace into our lives. Here's the task that Timothy had. Timothy's job was to teach and prepare the next generation of Christians. We actually have that same task. Let's look at verse 2. 2 Timothy 2, 2. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. And it seems kind of crazy, but I'll get into it. And this, he says this, Paul says to Timothy, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So you have Paul, you have Timothy, you have faithful men, and you have others. There's four generations. There's four generations of Christians being talked about in one sentence. What a heritage, right? What a heritage that Paul is trying to set up in the mind of Timothy. He's saying, hey, I got the, I mean, we can kind of like, you know, uh, believe, uh, we know that this is true. Jesus taught Paul in the desert of uh, Arabia, one-on-one. -on -one. So Paul gets it from Christ. Paul gives it to Timothy. Timothy gives it to others who will then be able to teach, to, he gives it to faithful men that will be able to teach others also. You really can talk about five generations from Christ to the end of the sentence. This verse is the essence of making disciples. These are our marching orders, if you will. Making disciples, those were Jesus' parting instructions. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority, Jesus says, has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Task number one for all believers. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Making disciples, 
that's our number one number one task as believers. Often we don't think that way. It's like, oh, I need to get smarter. I need to know the Bible more. I need, you know, and it's all kind of this, I need to be fed mentality. Uh, I'm not saying that that's not important. It definitely is important because you can't teach what you don't know. But once you know something, you have a commission by God to share that with other people. The number one task then of the church, and especially church leadership, because he's talking to Timothy, it's one of the leaders of the church in Ephesus, and he says, here's the task. The things that you got from me, get in the hands of people that are faithful, who will then spread the word. After making disciples, I'm kind of adding, kind of bolting together various passages of scripture, but after making disciples, the next part of the job, description of elders is to prepare others for ministry. We get that out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And 12, where Paul tells the Ephesians church, and he himself, talking of Christ, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, and here's the reason why, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's all of our job, right? Those parts are uh, all of our jobs. The equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, that's all of us. And the edifying of the body of Christ, that's all of us. So if you consider yourself to be a Christ follower, there's your marching orders. There's your workload. Paul was encouraging Timothy, back to 2 Timothy, he was encouraging him to pour into other people. You have to pour into your people. You have to pour into your, you have to be engaged in their lives. You have to pour into the people that you're leading, to be proactive also. Don't wait until you need a leader. Train a leader. That's why he was being proactive with this, this verse, you know, the things that you've got for me, give to faithful men who are going to be able to uh, teach others also. That's being proactive about setting up the next generation of leadership, the next generation of leaders in a local church. So be proactive. And then we need to train people to go out and to expand the kingdom of God. That's the task. That's Matthew 28 in action. It's not that we can just hunker here and make this place bigger, right? That's, that's not the goal. That's a goal of a lot of churches. A lot of church models are set up for just whatever it takes to get more and more people in the system. That's not a biblical model, not as far as just hunkering in and just being a part of you know, some little thing and never affecting the community around us. The goal of the gospel is to affect the, the community around us for the kingdom of God so that it just keeps expanding one neighbor to the next, one neighbor to the next, one conversation to the next, right? A conversation between two football coaches. Is it going to expand the gospel? I'm waiting and seeing, right? I'm waiting and seeing. That's the goal. Train people to go out to expand the kingdom of God. Most of all, and not to be overlooked because it's really the hinge point of the whole sermon, most of all, the task that Paul was given Timothy was to identify, disciple, and train those that are faithful. Identify, disciple, and train those that are faithful. Faithfulness is the number one character quality for the Christian. Faithfulness. And so you can evaluate yourself. Are you faithful? 
is faithfulness in your walk with the Lord, in your fellowship. What doesn't matter what it is, is it in your marriage, in your family, at work, you know, whatever it is, whatever area, is faithfulness a top shelf priority? Is it right at number one? It should be. Faithfulness is the number one character quality for the believers. What does it mean? It means to be loyal, steadfast, constant, to be true, and devoted. They're all synonyms of the word faithful. Really, if you want to look at the word faithful, if you split it apart and put it, flip it over and put it backwards, if you really want to know what faithful means, it means this, full of faith. Full of faith. That's, that, that's, that's where the word goes. Are we people that are full of faith? In other words, uh, I get it. At, at work, sometimes it's a complete grind. Uh, I love farming, but I think any of us that are into the agriculture, we know there's parts of it that really stink, right? And I'm not talking about just hauling manure. You know what my dad used to tell me? He says, manure spreader is the only piece of equipment a dealer won't stand behind. Think about that for a minute. Remember that joke? Took me a couple of minutes, I was scratching my head. But I was blonde back then, too, so... I'm joking. A lot of us give in to the temptation to avoid the difficult tasks in life. Whatever that task is, whatever that relationship is, whatever that issue is that's there, we just want to skirt around it. We're called to be faithful through the fire, through the trial. We should be marked as Christ followers that are full of faith in that tribulation. Not just doing whatever we can to just, you know, run around it and just avoid it. There's definitely, there's opportunities, there's, there's temptations that are out there where the Bible clearly says flee. That's different. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when a hard thing comes your way, are you going to be, are you the type of person, are you somebody that's full of faith and can stay faithful in the trial and wait and see what God does? We should be marked in that sense as Christ's followers. Why? Because that's who Jesus was. Revelation 3.14 says he is the faithful and true witness a couple of my favorite passages on this word faithful or faithfulness. The first one is in Matthew 25, Jesus is preaching uh, and, and, and teaching through a parable. It's called the parable of the talents. It's a great read. And he's got these various different servants who uh, take different approaches to stewarding his, this, this uh, owner, this uh, master, Lord, the Bible calls him, but this guy's resources, his money. But it was the good servant. It was a good servant that uh, was the good steward who doubled his master's money and he was rewarded for that, Jesus says. He was rewarded with, with this phrase, you good and what? Faithful servant. That's faithfulness. 
where his co-workers decided to take these different approaches and they were, you know, spun up, interesting parallel with, you know, First Timothy. Uh, several of them were full of fear of what the master may or may not do. So they were, they were operating out of fear and this good servant operated out of faith. He was faithful with the master's money. That's the first one. The second one actually comes from the end of the Bible. Revelation 17 is where we see these picture of future events where we see ten world leaders that will come together in a sense of unity and they will give their power and authority to the beast, the word says in Revelation 17. And uh, picking it up in verse 14, John records this. He says, uh, Then these will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And those who are with Him are called chosen and they're also called this. They're called faithful. They're called faithful. You hang out through the battle with Jesus. Now, I know these are future events, but we can take the principles and we can apply them for today. Whatever battle that you're in, or that you've been in, or that you're going to be in, because face it, we're all in one of those three camps. Either it just happened, it's happening now, or it's going to happen somewhere in the future in our lives. We're going to have some sort of a battle. We're going to have some sort of a war. We're going to have some sort of a trial, tribulation. The question is, will you be and will I be categorized the way that John records right here? Chosen and faithful. Let me tell you, faithfulness is a learned character quality. You don't just, just like the armor of God. It ain't going to fall out of the sky, folks. Faithfulness is not just going to just, you know, drop through the ceiling you know, and land on your shoulders and change your life. It's a learned character quality. You have to learn it. It's a learned character quality. Paul's picture of the leader of the church that he talking to Timothy about, Paul sets out these essential qualities for a church leader. And I use that in kind of the broadest possible terms because, <coughs> excuse me, our, uh, we can use the word pastor, you, elder, deacon, it doesn't much matter. He sets out these essential qualities for all of the above. First one is he must be a diligent student of the Bible, of the biblical message, and be able to articulate its teachings. He must be loyal and faithful to that message in his own life, and he must be actively involved in equipping others so that they also can teach. That's the essence of what Paul's getting at in 2 Timothy 2, 2. These are the things, fellas, that we have to have. And I'm not limiting that just to guys. We all have to have that in regards to church leadership, though. These are the three essential quality. Paul goes on to give and back up his point on faithfulness with three examples. Let's pick it back up in 2 Timothy Chapter 2, verse 3. Paul says this, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of his crops. Consider what I say, that the Lord may give you understanding in all things. 
He gives us three examples. The first one is a good soldier. The good soldier Paul starts to talk about. And here's how I want to categorize uh, these three, and actually there's a fourth one we'll get to in the next verses. But the good soldier is focused on who enlisted him. If you look at the language there, the soldier is not, he's focused on who he's fighting for, who's enlisted him. That's the focus. The good soldier is tested on his allegiance and his self-sacrifice. And Jesus, of course, is the commander of all of heaven's armies. Joshua 5.14 says that. Jesus appeared to Joshua as that commander of the army of the Lord in that passage. And so he's also our commanding officer that we to- owe total obedience to. And no questions asked. That's just the end of the Just drop the mic. End of the sentence. Jesus is our commander. If you consider yourself a Christ follower and you've never been told these things, maybe today's a bit of a, you know, draw up short type of a thing. I don't know because I think that there's a lot of soft gospel out there that people have, have been shared. So then they show up and say, well, what does this even mean? Well, here's what it means. Point number one. You're in, par- you're in God's army, right? He's your commander-in-chief. No questions asked. No second place. There's no vice president. He's it. We owe him our total obedience as such. The second example is that of an athlete where the good soldier focuses on who enlisted him. The athlete focuses on how he competes. That's the language here. He, if you look at it, if anyone competes, verse 5, if anyone competes as in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. An athlete is focused on how he competes. An athlete is tested by competing according to those rules. He can't just make up the rules as he pleases. He must compete properly if he wants to receive the crown. You can't have chaos Right? You can't have chaos out on the ball field. It, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You, you don't have somebody drive a, you know, a screamer to the fence and then run the bases backwards and start at third base. Like how, how crazy would that be? How do you even coach that? How do you even coach a defense to deal with somebody that wants to run the bases backwards? I don't even know. It's not how the game was designed. We, we follow the Lord according to how He designed it. Not according to our own whims and wishes. You know, you, you can't get away with that. It doesn't work. It's just chaos. It's confusion. It would be confusion in any sporting event, right? And, they, and they, there's penalties. There's penalties for doing it wrong. Football season, let's be frank, right? Out comes the yellow hanky when you do it wrong and you get penalized sometimes you get the boot right you're out if you do it wrong the same thing is true in our walk we're competing as it were as believers but we have to be focused on the how in that moment the athlete is focused on how he competes it's a great admonition for us to be mindful of how we live as Christ's followers the third one is the farmer. Oh, we could spend a week here. Everybody packed a lunch, right? Here we go. Somebody packed me a lunch. The farmer is focused on the when. The farmer is focused on when to enjoy the harvest. 
Now, a little experience. It's uh, harvest season when it comes to grain. And uh, all of us farmers get a little bit itchy to get out there and get going. Like, it's, it's stressful. And, 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 and what happens if we go too early and the grain's a little green? Bad things happen, right? My, my neighbor's combine had a pretty significant breakdown a week ago because he was trying to push the limits of how green he could cut the grain and uh, some things got all twisted up and it was a mess and we showed up to help him out and he was feeling bad. And, uh, it don't go well when you're not focused on the win. The farmer's hard work is tested when he harvests the produce. You can have, I have all kinds of dreams every spring when the grain goes in the ground and I sit there, you know, driving my tractor and running a calculator trying to calculate, you know, all right, how are we going to, you know, what's this going to produce? And guys that are really good like Ed over here, he, he just all does it in his head. He's just got it all locked down. I'm just a rookie, right, by comparison. But none of that matters. All of that calculator work in the spring, it doesn't mean nothing. It's all just an educated guess until this time of the year. Am I wrong? No, that's right. It's just an educated guess. The farmer's hard work is tested, if you will. How he farms, how well he does, it really comes to fruition, and it's tested and it's proven out when he harvests. Some people expect something for nothing. But wise people know that if you often get out, <coughs> you often get out of the things according to the measure that you put into them. If you're putting forth a little effort in your Christian walk, you should expect a, just a little result. We get that? Like, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna harvest what you sow. You're going to reap what you sow. If that's a lot, if you're putting a lot, if you're in the Word of God, if you're, now I'm not saying that we do this in, in, as, a, as a way of hoping that God shines greater favor on us. That's not it. God has lavished us uh, incredibly. He couldn't love you or care for you any more than He does anyway. But there's a component of it that, you know, if, if you're in the Word of God, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get the Word of God in you. That's the key. If you're in prayer, if you're devoted to be a prayerful type of person, right? If God's character qualities are a high priority to you, guess what? Those things are going to be, they're going to roll back around in a sense that uh, they'll come back around, if you will, at harvest time. At the same time, Paul knew that all the work he did really was a gift of God's grace in him. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says that. Paul says to the Corinthians church, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. That has to be our focus. God, work, work in me through your grace. Work in me. I, I, and, and we all need to be in that spot. I, I need the Lord's grace daily, daily. So there's the soldier, the athlete, the farmer. All three occupations need a great perseverance to succeed. Here's a little warning for those three. The soldier that stops fighting before the battle is finished will never see victory. The athlete who stops running before the race is over will never win a race. And the farmer who stops working before the harvest is com complete will never see the fruit of his crops. Paul goes on to insert himself then into the storyline. 2 Timothy 2 verses 8 through 10 says this, remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, 
was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer. Even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul focuses on this. We looked at all the other questions and types of question, but Paul focuses on the why he endures. He focuses on the why. And his answer to the why question is so that people would be saved. Like he didn't want to miss, he didn't want anybody to miss out on the message of the gospel. Why he endured? So that somebody would get it. Why he uh, took the beatings, like I've said this many times, if, if, if the Apostle Paul somehow were to walk through this and come up here, like he'd be kind of unrecognizable as a human. If you think of the beatings, the stonings, the, the torture that he took while he was alive, left for dead, stoned, left for dead, gets back up, dusts himself off, back into the city, preaches the gospel. Like this guy was a, a, a visual train wreck to see him. Like he was beaten to a pulp. And he just kept going. He kept going. He kept going. Why? So that all the people that are going to get saved get saved. Though he is in chains, God's word is not bound, it says there in verse 9. Right? Even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. It's kind of a little twist on words, a little play there that Paul brings out. Saying, hey, you can lock me up all you want to, Romans. Right? You, you guys in every city can just torture me all you want to. Guess what? It doesn't matter. God's word's not going to be hindered in any kind of a way. It's completely unchained. Paul may be handcuffed, but God's word can't be wrapped in iron. Paul may be tied to a Roman guard, so hey, guess what? They're going to get God's word. He's just going to keep sharing with, oh, next guy. You know, shift change. Come on in. Go ahead. Tie me to you. Let me tell you about somebody. You know, time and time again. That was just his approach. That was his mentality. He may be under house arrest, but the word of God is not sitting on the shelf. How is all this possible? How did he maintain that perspective? What was his thought pattern? He really tells us in verse 8. Because the core of the gospel is is the fact that Christ's bones and remains don't stay in the tomb. He says, Jesus, the seed of David, locking together all of these hundreds and hundreds of Old Testament prophecies, saying, this is the guy, this is the guy, no question asked, Jesus is the guy, and guess what? Tomb's empty, folks. You can't find, you, you can't find any remains. You can find all the other world leaders over the years and centuries. You can find all their remains, but you ain't going to find this guy's remains. right? So if the tomb's empty, then what? Anything's possible, right? If our leader who suffered and, and we're tempted to be shameful for in that first century, if he ain't around, if he did what he said, how many world leaders have, have actually pulled off what they've said? One. Jesus is the only one. He's the only one to pull it all off. And I'm here to say that if the tomb's empty, hey, anything's possible with Jesus. Anything's possible. That was his mentality. If the worship team wants to come on up, we'll just close with this last component of today's message. 
Because interestingly enough, this last little section is a first century hymn. And Paul is encouraging Timothy with this hymn. We don't know whether Timothy knew it or didn't know it. But Paul writes it down anyway. And the encouragement is for Timothy and for the church at Ephesus to really soak up both uh, all three th- things. Their position in Christ, their promise in Christ, and their perseverance in Christ. Verse 11 of 2 Timothy 2 says this. Paul says, this is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. Jesus is a faithful one. If you're sitting here feeling, hey, I'm struggling with being faithful. I'm struggling with being consistent. Guess what? I have a great solution for you. It's more of Christ. Right? It's just simply putting that out before the Lord and saying, hey, Lord, I need you to infuse me with whatever you got because your word says that you're faithful. I'm struggling with being faithful. I need more of you, less of me, more of you, and less of me. More of your will in my life, less of my will in my life. More of your character in my life, less of my character in my life. That's the key. That's the key. Don't sit here and beat yourself up. It's easy to do. I get it. The solution is not to just whip yourself because you think that you're bad. The solution is to turn to Christ and repent for these things. Repent for attitudes. Repent for character that's out of line with His Word. Repent for actions that are out of His Word. And soak in more of Christ. Guess what? He's faithful. He's faithful. And He's faithful and true to work in your life and to work in my life. Let's stand and worship the Lord. Raise your voices with Daniel.